Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad you're here today, man. Good to have you. Um, I want to uh, um, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Matthew five, and we're gonna I'm gonna as they say I'll, I'll talk fast if you listen fast, and uh, we'll. Um, I just want to share a few things with you um, in this series uh, called the Apprentice Approach. We've been looking at different passages of Scripture that kind of give us some insights as to what it is to be an apprentice of Jesus. And we, uh, two or three weeks ago, defined an apprentice of Jesus, or maybe the more churchy word for apprentice would be disciple. Um, An apprentice is one who follows Jesus, is being formed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So it's a whole lot more than, uh, than merely attendance or knowledge, uh, but it, is, it, it does involve uh, who we are, the direction that we're going. And this, this passage that uh, we've been in, in Matthew 5 recently, uh, over the last three weeks, is one that literally people follow Jesus so that they could be um, included in hearing this message. Uh, the, uh, the, the passage that we're looking at is kind of more commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And as that name implies, this was not just, uh, hey, come into this nice level area and we're going to talk. I find it interesting that Jesus chose to walk up a mountain and invite people to hear what he had to say. Now, I could guess as to why he chose to walk up a mountain. Was it because the acoustics were better? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but what we know is in Matthew 5.1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And I wonder, as he began that walk up that mountainside, if in his mind he's like, I wonder who is going to follow me up this mountainside? Who has it in them? Um, have they trained for the Dipsy? And are they in good enough shape to make it up here to, uh, to hear what I have to say? Uh, and the scriptures tell us that when he got up there, he sat down. Now, maybe, I don't think he sat down because he was out of shape, but maybe. Um, it could be that he sat down because it was traditional for a rabbi. After he would read the scriptures, the rabbi would sit down. And that was kind of a picture to everyone. Okay, they're about to expound on something and teach. <coughs> On something and use their authority um, and give us some insights. Or I wonder if um, I wonder if he sat down just because he could be a little bit more eye to eye with them. Um, we call this the Sermon on the Mount, but I don't want you to think of this as like a sermon, like some preacher standing behind a big podium, because that's just not the way Jesus did things. It was highly relational, and when he called apprentices. To follow him, there was something that he did about getting eye to eye with people. That was the way he did life with them and when he spoke with them. Um, and I kind of wonder if there's an aspect of this where he was saying, I've got some words to say to those of you who want it bad enough to follow me up this hill. I've got some things to say for those of you who are willing to literally kind of take a few extra steps to go the extra mile. As I talk to you about this blessed life, the good life, and that's how he began his talk with the blesseds, the the beatitudes, and I picture him kind of as less as a preacher giving a sermon and more as a parent who has special things that he wants to say eye to eye 
with his children. Uh, so what does it look like for us in a, as an apprentice to receive these words from Jesus? What would it have been like that day? Um, I don't know, but this is, uh, using my imagination, I kind of wonder what would it have been like. And I've kind of thought what type of relationship I had with my parents. Um, I've got a picture of uh, my dad and I when I was very little. Um, Really cute, huh? Talking about my dad. He's really cute. Um, So my dad tomorrow would be 78. He passed away eight years ago. Um, He... uh, he was a great influence in my life. And uh, so this is a picture of us. We were in Sedalia, Missouri, where he was pastoring a church at the time in the middle of the state of Missouri. And, um, and then it's this next picture. Uh, this is, uh, these are both pictures I have in my office. I don't know exactly what's going on here, um, but my dad used to always, he loved to tell the story of how when I was little, I loved to look into his mouth. <laughs> So I don't know if I missed my calling as a dentist or, or what, but, but apparently um, we have a lot of those pictures just like that. Uh, like I said, I've got one in, in my office. And the reason I thought about that is with this passage in the English Standard Version in Matthew 5, verse 2, it says, And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, And I wondered, what if... I was so eager to hear what Jesus had to say that that would be a picture of me and Jesus. What if that's kind of what an apprentice does? As we think of ourselves as a child with a loving parent, and that loving parent says, I want to talk to you about the blessed life, about the good life. I don't think that's something that you just kind of want to stay at the bottom of the hill and hope that he shouts loud enough for you to hear. I want to get up close, and I want to know what he has to say. And maybe that is part of the good life right there, just being that close with the Father and knowing he's got a hold of me, and he's going to tell stories about how much I loved to draw close to him and to hear what he had to say. And so Jesus begins talking about the good life, and he talks about how blessed we can be as we walk in this kingdom here and now. And it's not something like the Pharisees thought that would be someday out there in heaven. He's saying, heaven is right here, right now. I want you to have a change of perspective, and I want you to see that the good life is right now. And it's not dependent upon your income, your social status, uh, where you live, anything like that. The good life is available to you right here, right now. And it's found in a relationship with me, a relationship that changes your perspective on how you look at the world, how you look at me, how you look at yourself. And you begin to see your own belovedness and God's love for the world around you. And then out of that blessed life, we realize that God's calling us to be salt and light. He's asking us to take that blessedness back out into the world. He's asking us to influence the world around us, um, to be uh, a salt that enhances, to be a light that pierces the darkness. Um, We take his life and we model this blessed life for the world around us to see. And this is what has taken place beyond these church building walls. 
And then we get to these verses um, later on in Matthew chapter 5 that we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 21. And here he is describing a life that is very revolutionary. And not just revolutionary for that day, but for our day today. And so listen to some of these verses and see if you can pick up on, on just how countercultural this could be. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, instead of having this anger stewing within you, instead of replaying in your mind all the reasons why you are justified in your anger towards someone, this new life, he's saying, reconciliation is the blessed life. Leave your gift there before the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I want us to jump down to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like I said, this is a countercultural way of going through life. And, and to know some of, the, um, some of the cultural implications and nuances of this, such as um, under Roman rule, they had the right, a Roman had the right to ask a Jew, hey, I, I need you to carry this for me for up to one mile. That was legally within their limits. And Jesus is saying that's legally within their limits. Um, and why don't you just go the extra mile? Instead of just carrying it one mile, go two. So there's, there's little things woven in there. But even without knowing all of those cultural implications, can we agree this seems like a really challenging way to live? But I want you to think through the lens of how freeing this could be. I don't know how you respond to certain situations, but I want you to think about how do you respond when life shakes you? <laughs> How do you respond when um, someone insults you? Uh, when someone is blocking what it is that you would really like to do in life? How do you respond when you've got every right to fire back? Um, how many of us kind of enjoy nursing that seething anger? Now, you wouldn't admit it here, but maybe... I will. Okay. There is something about that. Or maybe, um, maybe you're thinking about a deep wound. And the more you think of that woundedness, 
What happens in you? What's getting stirred up? I mean, living, can we agree that living with this pent up hatred and frustration is something that should alert us to the fact that there is something really unhealthy and potentially dangerous that's about to explode from us? Um, And this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, it paints a picture of what life could be like for us as apprentices who follow Jesus. We are formed inwardly into a people who live the good life, who are salt and light. We follow and we are formed. And because of that, something is different. Even though every one of us gets shaken in life. We go through something that's really challenging like this. Imagine a world where individuals do not retaliate in anger. Can you imagine that? Imagine a world, imagine, imagine a Marin where love reigns preeminently, where every child lives in a loving, nurturing environment. Imagine a world where every word people speak can be trusted. Imagine a world where vengeful retaliation no longer exists. Imagine a world where the first thing we as Christian apprentices do when we are wounded is to actually pray for those who have wounded us. Sounds heavenly, doesn't it? Can you imagine how freeing this would be? Now, if you were to ask, is it hard to do what Jesus is describing in these passages? I would say no. No, it's not hard to respond in this way. I'd say it's impossible (laughs) to respond in this way. It is crazy and impossible um, in our own strength. I mean, you could probably pull it off once or twice. You could probably, you know, just kind of grit your teeth and get through it. And even though there is something stewing deep within you, you could probably smile and maybe convince a few people. But over the long haul, it is impossible to respond in these ways unless there has been an inner transformation. And Jesus is saying the blessed life is something that is all around you. And as as you are transformed from the inside out, as you are formed inwardly, what is going to come out is love. When you recognize your belovedness, it is that that is going to come out. When the inner transformation takes place, life has really been shaking you. This is what happens. Do you remember Gallagher with the watermelon? And they would put plastic on the front few rows of his, yeah. This is what happens. This is what Jesus is talking about when this happens. It's, it's empty. Yeah. It's empty. This is pretty good. You didn't even flinch, man. I'm pretty, pretty impressed. That your reflexes are really slow. <laughs> for us to respond when life shakes us, for us to respond with love, it begins with emptiness. Not an emptiness like a vanity, but emptying ourselves of pride and ego. 
Jesus is saying, I've got a way for you to live that is so freeing, and I've modeled it for you. Jesus, who was persecuted, spit upon, mocked, misunderstood, beaten, crucified, what came out? Love. Love. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? He did what? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we are emptied of hatred, our response is love, and it is so freeing. And it's not, I'm not talking about thinking less of yourself, like berating yourself. Oh, I, I, I deserve this, what's happened to me, so I, I accept it. No, it's, it's thinking of yourself less. It is thinking of others more than you think of yourself. It is saying, I am who I am because of Christ. And nobody's going to take that away. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the passage in Philippians 2 that precedes this. So I want to leave you quickly with two action steps that helped us experience freedom and for us to live this good life even when we are shaken to the core. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I just kind of want to use this as our our two points that we'll, we'll close with today. Two things that we can lean into. First point, sit your can down. (laughs) Get it? Sit your can down. Okay. Um, And by this I mean sit down, be still, and especially your mind. Choose to still your mind rather than continuing to to shake things up by dwelling on the wrong that's been done to you or dwelling on your rights as an individual or dwelling on justifiable revenge. Um, Be still. Set your can down. And it's not just be still and ignore these certain thoughts, um, but fill yourself with the knowledge of God. Be still and know that He is God. Dwell on God, who He is, on His greatness and His majesty. The passage that Ashton read up here is a great passage for you to dwell on. In fact, I'm going to give you these two for this week uh, to reflect on the majesty of God. Psalm 145 and then that passage in Isaiah 40. Um, There were selected verses there that Ashton read and they were between verses 10 and 28. Be still and then fill your mind with the greatness of God. We've sang a couple of songs that are uh, highlight the greatness of God this morning. Let that kind of music, let these type of scriptures wash over your mind. As we prepare for communion, we, we come back to this every Sunday. We gather around this table, which reminds us um, that emptying actually is fulfilling. 
There is a fulfillment that we experience as we empty ourselves of self. And as apprentices, we gather around the communion table and we remember Christ as our example. We follow him and he forms us inwardly so that all that comes out of us, just as all that came out of him, is love. Now think about it. On the night Jesus was betrayed, talk about being shaken. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was shaken to the core. But he said, this bread represents my body offered for you. This cup filled with wine represents my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Even when he was being shaken by betrayal, he chose the path of love. I want to ask you to bow your heads. Um, those that are going to serve communion, um, Jeff, you want to come on up and get get us ready for a time of worship to, to follow. Um, just take a moment and be still and rest in the greatness of God and his great love. Sit your can down, still your mind, and let yourself rest in the freedom of God's love for you, your belovedness. Draw close to Him. Give Him time to speak. As He opens His mouth, what does He have to say to you? Father, we thank You. For the living example that Jesus was. Lord, I speak for myself. I want to experience that freeing life in the kingdom here and now, where every one of my responses can be summed up by love. If nobody else in here, God, I, I confess that there is a lot of me that needs to get poured out. There's a lot of Gary that needs to get out of the way so that I can be filled by more of you. We would love to avoid being shaken. But what, God, uh, what if that's the way you choose for us to be salt and light in the midst of our shakenness? The people of Marin will know that we are Christians by our love by a love that flows freely from us it flows freely through us from you to them thank you for giving us the opportunity to experience a little bit of heaven here on earth here and now and as we approach this table may we be reminded of how love flowed from you so freely. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.